Yo, what is up? Welcome to the Street Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Dave One. And this is episode number... What episode number is this, Cam? 37. 37. Oh, Cam's here, everybody. So for the last two episodes, Cam wasn't here, man. I was struggling a little bit. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of hard when my engineer is not here. I, I just want to talk on the mic. That's all I want to do. I, I don't want to uh, set up stuff. I don't want to set up the cameras. I don't want to make sure they're... The, the the SD cards are formatted or anything like that. All I want to do is talk to my guests. So it's good to have Cam back. Thank you, Cam, for coming back. I'm going to let you stay in the house another week. But if you miss again, it's 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 over. So, uh, you know, making sure. But we got a great guest today. But before we get to our guest, this episode is sponsored by Hope and Promises. So Hope and Promises is a nonprofit humanitarian outreach uh, organization. If you remember um, one of our episodes, we had attorney Arturo Pena. Um, Arturo Pena, Art Pena, that's my brother-in-law. He started this uh, this new uh, nonprofit humanitarian outreach program, and basically they are giving basic needs, you know, um, food, medical help, um, clothing to people, uh, and they're really doing a great job out there. So if you want to check them out, if you want to support them, Check out www.hopeandpromises.com. I mean, they've done excellent work, especially during the pandemic. A lot of people have been hurting. Uh, they've been able to feed families. They've been able to give medical care. And this is not just uh, here in the States, but it's uh, international also. So they're branching out. So very proud of uh, Arpena and all they're doing in that organization. So check them out, Hope and Promises. But today... We got an excellent guest. Uh, I've been trying to get this guest for a, a little, a little while. We we were, I had to, uh, I had to cancel uh, on her on accident. Is my bad, bad day. It just didn't work out, and I was like, yeah, I just I, I'm gonna have to cancel. So, but you know, I got to play a little bit of music to introduce my guest. So I got a little, uh, a little music to introduce my guest. So she grew up. I would say more South LA, right? Yeah. Some people call it South Central LA. It's not really South Central LA. People from South LA say, I'm from South LA. It's, it's a little bit different. It's, it's South of South Central, uh, it's a, but it's a whole different area, whole different neighborhood. Uh, she is a mother. She's a grandmother. She's a wife, a, a, a new wife, right? Yeah, five years. Okay, no, I, maybe I, yeah, I, we'll talk about that. I'm thinking the time is just flying by here. She is a director of a legal department. A legal department. I'm falling off here. I'm already <laughs> falling off here. I know she's in the legal realm, but uh, she's a good friend. She's my wife's homegirl. They grew up together. I'm very happy to have her on the Street Gospel Podcast. Wait a minute. Your last name is not the same anymore, right? Reese, are you like? Oh, it is? Oh, it's okay, okay, okay. I just want to make sure. Give it up for Miss Gabby Reese. Yo. What's up, Dave? How's it going? Going. Really? Good? Yeah. 
excited to be here. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, so am I. You know, I, I mean, look, we 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 always see each other. I mean, on on the gram, we see each other on Facebook. You're connected with my wife. You guys are like homegirls. Go way back. Um, always been connected. Um, we've been friends for years. Know your family. Your your dad. Um, R.I.P. to your dad. Uh, good man. Um, your mother. Your your sisters. Your just whole family. Your nephews. Right. Mm-hmm. I know those guys pretty yeah. good. Um, but uh, I wanted to have you on the podcast just so um, there's a lot to talk about. And yeah. I always felt like, you know, Melissa was a big advocate to get you on. You know, she's <laughs> like, I, I was like, I need, I need some women with some stories. And she was like, get Sylvia. So you, you and Sylvia are homegirls too. You guys know each other. And then she was like, you got to get Gabby, get Gabby on the, on the podcast. And I was like, yeah, I got to do it. So finally get you here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And, um, I mean, so how's everything going? It's great. It's great. It's <laughs> you look you look great by the way. Thank you. Thank look you. really great by the way. I mean, man, I mean you, you look I mean fabulous. I mean, I was like, "Whoa, cuz we haven't seen each other. It's been a it's been a while. It's been a few months other than yeah. on Instagram." So, yeah. thanks for coming out. Yeah, thank you. So, your let's let's go to the beginning of your story. I mean, and it's kind of like our story of of kids that we kind of grew up with right in church and stuff and um i met you and your family in church uh we grew up together uh we were friends and then uh through our teenage years and then i think kind of everybody started going a little bit kind of their their separate ways right yeah yeah during our teenage years um there was we were the first generation of teenagers in in the church right so uh it was it was crazy. <laughs> we it, it, baptized Praise Chapel, just put it that way. I, I mean, it was uh, wow. Those <laughs> things were interesting, man. I, because for those of you that have seen my wife, she was you know Melissa was on the show, and uh, and even even you, even Sylvia. I mean, you guys are you guys grew up into beautiful women, and 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 your grandmother Sylvia is a grandmother, and but I, I can. It's funny when we look back at those days because you guys were wild, man. We were wild. We were rebellious. Right? Yeah. There, there was a... Uh, nobody was going to tell us what to do. Uh, yeah. You, you guys were uh, pretty crazy. I, and I, But I remember like... And I was pretty I was pretty straight. Yeah. Straight edge. I yeah. mean, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a wild kid. I, I mean, I grew up in, in, in the same neighborhood and things like that and was around the same people. But I was kind of like... I was pretty straight edge, but I always like, uh, we were always friends. Uh, I wouldn't say I was always friends with Melissa. I I really didn't, I really didn't like her when we were, (laughs) when we were younger, but, uh, you know, we were friends and, uh, I always was friends with your family. Um, they always were really nice to me. I remember going over their house and I think I went there a few times for Bible study, you guys house and stuff. And, uh, but during the teenage years, I remember like a lot of our, 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 the kids that we grew up with, it was kind of like everybody started branching out. Some girls got pregnant. Uh, so some of the guys kind of just left and kind of just started uh, falling away, kind of partying a little bit and doing different things. And I remember you, uh, you, you, you got hooked up with a guy from the neighborhood and stuff. And then you, were, and we all knew him. He was a big clown, Joker type of guy. Yeah, kind of, kind of funny. He used to make me laugh, but he was like. 
living in the neighborhood too. You yeah. know what I mean? And and uh, what happened? What? Why do you think so many kids just kind of just like went their way? Was you know? I I asked this question because I've had uh, some some kids that grew up in church on the podcast, and they uh, they say that like their life was just a routine of church. It wasn't like a uh, an encounter, you know. It wasn't like they were just going to church because their family went to church. And when they were able to decide, I don't want to go no more, they were like, we're out. Yeah. I, well, I think there was a mixture of kids. Some kids went on their own, like my daughter's dad. Right. Um, and then a couple other people were there on their own. But for some of our families, they were the first time that they were introduced to church. So from my opinion, they became very extreme. And so there was no... Uh, trying to attempt to communicate with your kids at that point. You know, it was, this is the way it was. And, you know, we're growing in an era where we're trying to explore and experiment, experiment and stuff. And so it was a, it was a clash. And then our church was in the core of a, of another neighborhood. And so there was always activity going on. Yeah. I remember, I remember guys coming to like the church to fight and, 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 I mean, we were like, wow, fighting in the alley behind the church. And who's yeah. fighting today? Oh, they're going to the corner to fight. And it was just oh, yeah. like, I, I think what you said there was like, a lot of the parents were first generation yeah. um, Christians. Are, are their life changed? And the background they came from was just broken homes. Um, you know, just they, they didn't know how to be parents. No. And so... They weren't quite sure, and they just thought, well, if we're just taking them to church, that's all, that they'll be fine. And I think for a lot of the kids, it that wasn't enough. Yeah. They, they needed more than just church. They needed something at home, too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely there was a disconnect there. Uh, you know, my parents were going to church, but there was a lot of chaos going on at home. So my way of rebelling and acting out was that was one of the outlets. Like, I'm going to get you kicked out of church. <laughs> Really? I'm going, I'm going to, oh yeah. Um, I, I know P- Pastor Phil Hernandez threatened our parents, like, these kids don't straighten up, you're going to be out. We're like, yeah. <laughs> Riding on church pews and restrooms and graffiti and, you know, it, we're out of control. Yeah, I remember, I remember the first time somebody wrote in the restroom, and I forget whose name was it, and I don't think every, anybody really figured out who it was but i think there i think some kids were testing the water and they wrote in the church restroom and uh it was uh, like a, it was like what's going on you know it was just like you know and uh i think a lot of it was they didn't know how to handle that and it which was weird to me sometimes because everybody in the church came from the neighborhood yeah or came from in so I didn't understand why they didn't know how to deal with the same type of kids when we when when we started rebelling a yeah. little bit, you know. I mean, more some more than others, of course. But you know, I remember like somebody telling me, which you know, I wasn't a bad kid. I I did like graffiti. I did you know I I was like any other kid. I was like go outside during service, whatever. But I remember like people being so hard, and yeah. and I'd be like, like I'm not really a bad kid. And I'm, I'm just like a, I'm just a kid. Yeah. I'm just a youth. Right. Yeah. And so I think it was weird to me that they didn't know how to really react to that, you know, yeah. and, 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 and coming from where they came from. Yeah, it was, it was extreme. A little so, bit. Um, there were some people, though, that still to this day mean, mean a lot to me that 
did try to connect, did invest their yeah. time and, and their love and, you know, their prayers. I know Mona Reese is, she's still, she's still a big part of my life. Yeah. Your Aunt Apples. Yeah. Eva. You know, those people spoke, didn't speak down to me. So if you spoke down to me, it just gave me a reason to challenge. Right. You know, and, and at that time I'm trying to find myself. I'm a young, rebellious, angry young girl. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and there was a bunch of us like that. Yeah, it was it was uh it was a crazy mix, man. Yeah. It was it was a really crazy mix of of kids. I mean, I, I would say one thing we we kind of all stuck together mm-hmm. and we were all still friends and we, even when we went our separate ways, we we all had I mean, if we all got together this day, you know, it it, it would just be all love. Yeah, we know? did a couple years ago, I think at Carlos and Eva's house and right. we were we had the ball. We hadn't seen each other in so many years yeah. and it was just like nothing, and then we had such a good time. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that here. Yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna do that one of these days, and we'll get we'll get the, everybody here and do a uh, a little reunion. But what do you think made you angry and made you rebel? What if you look back on on young Gabby, 14, 15 years old? What do you think made you rebel? I mean, everybody has a reason, kind of. Yeah. So for me, it stemmed from obviously my home life, and it happened way before my teenage years. Um, you know, I, I think early on, my mom and dad had a had a very difficult relationship, a marriage. You know, my dad, he was first in his life and everybody knew it. You know, he was a he was a he was a great provider. But as a husband, yeah, it, it didn't from my from my point of view, it didn't look good from a daughter's point of view. And, and it was probably I mean, I want to say five sisters altogether and one brother. There's six of us girls and two boys. Yeah. Two so boys. Eight of us. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, there's eight of us. L- living in what? A one-bedroom house. A one-bedroom house, yep. right? And a one-bedroom house. And you couldn't Nuts. tell us when we were kids that we were, you know, poor or anything right. like that because we didn't feel it. No. You know, there was stacks of bunk beds in the room and a couple of us slept in the living room. My parents slept on the other side of the living room and it, we made it work. Yeah. It, it didn't feel anything less. In the old school days that was like normal like it was melissa talks about her grandparents and, and and they didn't have no door on their bedroom and and it, and it was a two-bedroom like the house is tiny you know when you're a kid everything looks big yeah. right you go to your old oh, yeah. you go to your old street and you're like how did we play baseball <laughs> on this street yeah. in, the, in the middle of the street like yeah. it, it makes no sense but in those days you just you don't know you got food you got a house you you, you got clothes you're like yeah. So everybody else and everybody else is the same too in the neighborhood, which is crazy, right? Yep. Yep. So I'm the seventh of the eighth kids. Yeah, kids. I'm number seven. Um, so by the time it got to seven and eight, I say the same thing. I say the same thing about. I mean, we know there's only four of us. I have three sisters after me. I always tell my mom, like, like y'all were so strict on me. By the time you got to Nisi, like. She was like, "Oh yeah, we we we're done. We, we done gave up by the time Nisi came around. We were done." And I was yeah. like, "Wow, like yeah. you know." But yeah, it's true. Once you yeah. get to that point, you're just kind of like, eh, "It's cool." Yeah, for for me, it was more that my dad had checked out by then. Mm. By the time it got to raising us, and you know, my mom was busy chasing my dad, so there was very little interaction at that point. Know, and um, so early on in my life, my my brother was there for me and my oldest sister, um, but 
things happened in their life and they had to leave. And that was my first experience of abandonment. Because my mom, as much as I love her, and she, we've had this conversation many times, she, uh, she was too involved with my dad. You know, she was chasing him and making sure, you know, where he was at, who, who he was with, you know, doing whatever. And, you know, mentally she was uh, struggling. Wow. And so I, I got to see that, you know, and, you know, I have clear memories of my mom just losing it early in, in my life. And that stemmed a lot of stuff that happened in me much later in life. But that's that's where it started. Did that affect you with your with your relationships going forward? See, that's 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 the seed. Yeah, because I think you go one way or the other, right? You yeah. end up being exactly like that or totally like I'm not going to be like that. And for me, it was it was it was both, you know. I think, uh, I think your one. headphones are on inside out. Turn that. This one. Cam, turn that the other uh, the other way. Flip it down. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just barely noticed that right now. Here, uh, stay cut real quick. Cut. There you go. <laughs> there you go. My okay. bad, Gabby. I was like. <laughs> I was like, I barely saw it right now. I was like, wait, something's wrong right there. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it doesn't. What, about what? To move closer? No, about... You did? Yeah, I didn't even see that. Over. I didn't even see that. My bad. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Ready? Uh, clap one more time. All right. Yeah, so, you know, I I struggled with both. You know, um, early on, I think I was probably in the first grade. My mom had taken off to Mexico. She had taken my youngest sister and one older than me. And left me behind. I was at school, so I wasn't off track. And left me with my dad. And uh, my dad took me to my mom's friend's house. Mm. And uh, I was there during the duration of my mom's trip to Mexico. And I clearly remember being at the breakfast table and turning around and seeing my dad with this woman. Uh, how old are you? Uh, I was probably in the first grade. Wow. And so imagine the weight of that. You know, of okay, she's my mom's good friend. He's hurting my mom. I have to keep the secret. Ugh. How can I hurt my mom? You know, and so I'm young, and that was really that, and the combination of seeing my mom go through what she was going through, not understanding until that time. Like, oh, this is why. And I was little, and I already knew the concept. And you knew that. what was going on. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So you go. Totally opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I It warped my sense of love from that moment on. What was it like? Uh, I think I was in search of being loved. Mm. If, if that was love, like I didn't understand what love was. And I think every human being, that's the, a natural need. Did you think it was normal? No. You knew that it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. Oh. I knew it was wrong. He's married to my mom. Yeah. And then you go home like nothing's wrong. You would think that your dad would kind of hide it a little bit more? I think to a degree my dad was, it is what it is. Because your mom accepted it. Because my mom accepted it. She knew. She knew. <sighs> she knew. So that that really warps your mind to oh, say yeah. like... How are you letting him do this? It doesn't make sense to me. Oh, yeah. I was angry. I was resentful that she stood there and took that. 
And I was angry at him for doing that. So, so that's that's where the rebellion is, oh, yeah. is like I I I can't respect you going to church and playing this role yes. and you're angry at your dad for doing that, you're angry at your mom for putting up with it. Yeah. yeah I, I I need to get out of here. I, I need, need to, to get out. How old were you when you decided that? <sighs> I hated being home. I remember one time when my mom decided to leave my dad. I was probably nine, ten years old. She left to La Puente with my aunt, and I was the happiest kid. I was like, finally, we get out. We're going to start a new life. I was excited to go to this school, and here comes my dad. <sighs> and so I always had a desire to not be home. Like I didn't want to be home. Home was not good for me. I Is it still crowd? Was it still crowded? No, it was, everybody was starting out? to starting to move out. Okay, you know we were starting to. So now it's highlighted more because the, in the busyness yeah. of life and when your house is, I, I tell people that all the time when they have kids, right? And their their spouse and them don't maybe they don't get along, but the business busyness yeah. of life, practice, school, work, cooking, you know, yeah. put them to bed, do the homework, and then when it starts dying a little bit down, and it's just like. The spouses, you got to really deal with life. You yeah. know what I mean? So by the time there's just you and your sister Christina left, there's probably, it's probably like, they're probably realizing like, oh, we have a, a lot more time together than we anticipated, right? Yeah. So we grew up in pairs. And so my, me and my younger sister Christina and then my sister Alma and Martha, which are, she's four years older than me. So she, they were going through their crazy stages too. So there was my mom, my poor mom was like, could only cut herself in so many pieces, you know? Oh. So being between schools, getting kids, getting kicked out or fighting here or doing this. My mom was just, she was a stay at home mom. So she was running at every school. I remember there was a, a Dean of, of Drew junior high right there on Compton at our house every day, getting my sisters out of bed, taking, dragging them to school. So this became normal for us, and I hated that. Like, I hated the chaos. I hated the anger. I hated the fighting. I hated I hated being home. I hated it. And where did you go? I started hitting the streets, started running away, started, you know, um, I got pregnant real young. I was 14. Did you leave the house when you got pregnant? I did. I uh, probably about my fourth month, I ended up going to placement in uh, Lincoln Heights. Anything, anything to get out. My dad. What was what was placement? It was like a girls' home. Okay. You know where um, one side was girls that had kids, and one side was girls that were pregnant. You know, my dad and I just bumped heads. Obviously, he wasn't happy that I was pregnant. I'm 14 years old. By this dummy that's four years older than me, <laughs> he's not. You know, trying to be in the picture. Oh. Uh, you know, and um. Were you? I asked this because. As a young girl, were you just, like, happy that you were going to have a baby and have something to love and have something to love you back unconditionally? Or were you just like, I messed up? Uh, I was I was never one of those girls that said I dreamed of having kids. It happened. And the situation was, was what it was. I had somebody that wasn't interested in being a parent. And here I was with this kid in my stomach. What do I do? I got to figure this out. And abortion wasn't an option for me. I, I knew that from from elementary. I just, that wasn't okay for me. So uh, I had to figure it out. And that was the first moment where, like, 
All right. There's no there's no time for crying. There's no time for none of this stuff. But you're 14. It just happened. It kicked in. Wow. It kicked in. Um, and I knew being home wasn't good for me. So I ended up in placement. And, uh, you know, it, it started giving me a sense of independence. You know, and then I felt my baby. Like, this was the first human being that was going to love me. Yeah. Unconditionally. And me love her. Like, that's it. You know, we're connected for life, me and her. Like, she wasn't going to go away, and I'm not going away. You know, everybody else is removable in your life. But her, it was just, it was it. It's yours. She's mine. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, so 14, in placement, angry, depressed, sad. You know, this guy, I think he ended up going to jail. Uh, You know, we didn't last too long. I think she was less than a year old when we went our own way. Um, But I stood close to his family. Know, and he's somewhat still in her her life. Um, you know, it everything happens for a reason, and for me, that was the beginning of, you know, my life, my story. You know, it uh, uh, it made me grow up. I was fourteen, and I had to figure it out. Like, how, my parents said, "You're not getting on welfare, and you're not staying home. So either you go to school, or you work. Which one are you doing?" And who watched the baby? So my mom didn't believe in watching the kids. <laughs> She's like, figure it out. So I got on the yellow pages. When I came home from placement, I came home when she was born. Uh, I got on the yellow pages, and I looked for a high school that had daycare. Wow. And so um, I enrolled. It was all the way. I lived in southeast LA, so Firestone and Alameda. That's me. Um, the school was on Washington and Crenshaw. So it took me a metro and a bus to get there every day, you know, and um, then I would come home, drop her off at her dad's mom's house and uh, go to work. I used to work at Children's Hospital in Hollywood. Wow. Come home, do homework, do this again five days a week. So it was, um, it was the beginning of like, I got to figure this out. (laughs) I got to, I can't depend on him. My parents said that they can't help me. You know, they won't help me, I think. And they did me a big favor because I was, that's how I got ahead in my life. Um, Very limited times that they say, okay, come back in or let us help you. Or, you know, it was like, figure this out. So So, so you're, how long did that go on? That you went for school, work, uh, and that little? Probably two years. Two years. And you finished school? Uh, Not there. I ended up moving up to Central California, but, uh, um, I left there when I met my kid's dad, my other two kids' dad. Um, I was about 18 years old. I See, I thought you were older when you met no. him. I, I, actually, I, I met him when I was 16. I met him when I was 16. How old was he? He was 30. Okay, so, okay. So, let me ask you that. Okay, yeah. well, we'll get to that. We'll get yeah. to it. But, so, you, you, I remember when you moved up there. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know the ins and outs. I actually liked. I yeah. should I should like both guys. I mean, yeah. at the time, but I don't I don't know what kind of yeah. person they were personally. I mean, just from the surface, right? I didn't know. So you move up there, you finish up there, and you have I had two, my two kids, two, two more kids yeah. by the age of. So now you got three kids by the age of twenty. Twenty. Yeah. But you're still going to school. I was going to school up there. He was working, and I was going to school. So you're still handling your business, though. Yep. I always handle my business. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to school. Finish, three kids. Yep. Things good up there? 
They were good at the beginning. Well, why did you guys move up there? Uh, I was tired of LA. I knew that I needed change. I needed a slower pace. I knew that eventually I was going to creep back into going, doing things that I shouldn't do and start partying and doing things like that. And so I had a kid now. So I had to grow up and figure this out and try to give her a better life. And so I, I packed up our bags from one day to the next. My sister was living up there, and I asked her, can I come? Can he come too? He was on parole. Just got out of prison. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when they say that you're looking for love in all the wrong places, that was the story of my life. He was 30 years old. <sighs> you know, and... I, I don't... I remember, you know, I remember that time. For some reason, I thought you were a little older. And he was a little younger. I didn't know it was that big of a gap. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm sure Melissa knows, but <laughs> I, 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 I didn't know that. Yeah. So you, how long are you up there? I was up there about two years. And so you, then you guys come back? We come back because he starts using again. So he's a user? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I knew he, I knew he did. But again, you know, it was what, part of the life. Okay, what did you see? In him. He was, he was a good guy to me. He was good to you? Yeah, he was good to me. And he was kind to me. He uh, he uh, uh, paid attention. He um, never disrespected me. So di so different than what you yeah. what you experienced before? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. He was good. He was a, he was a good provider, too. When we got up there, he started working, took care of us. Um, and I think that's what I wanted, like a home, a family. I wanted us to be together and... Eventually, his vices kicked back in, and you know, he did heroin all his life, and that started doing his thing again. And I was like, "Oh, if you're gonna do it, let me go back to LA so I can do me." <laughs> and at least uh, you know where you know where you're at. At least you know. I know where I'm at. Yeah. So there we go. Three kids. My son's two months at the time. Come back. Uh, I think we're living in Orange County at the time. How did you have the? I would say it, it, it's it's the fortitude to say, yeah, we're going back. That's it. Because you always seem like, to me, you always been like 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 a boss. I, 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 I'm going to handle it. We're going to do it. And even when you said right now, when you're 14, like, so I'm thinking in my head, like, you always been like that. I've always been like that. I think I've always felt like there's no choice. I don't have a choice. Like, either that or I fall. Yeah. Nobody's going to catch me. Yeah. You know, and so I have to make sure things happen. Sometimes I got to push people to make things happen. Right. And that was the situation. You know, the men that I had experienced in my life, you know, they weren't the brightest light bulbs or the strongest people or, you know, and I've always been like, look, I got kids now. Like my life depends on it. Yeah. Like we don't have time to play. We don't. Let, let's get to it. And so it was like, we're moving back. That's what we're doing. And he didn't oppose it. So let's do it. So you're back. Back in LA. You're still with him, or yes. he's, and you're trying to make it work. Yes, trying to make it work, hoping that you know he's back here. That you know we'll give it another shot and see what happens. Well, that didn't last too long. You know he's back at home and near his home. He knows LA. He knows everything where yeah. everything's at. Yeah. Okay. How long does that last? Probably. My son was before he turned two. So you didn't you didn't mess around again. You're just like, no. hey man, that's, it's not working out. You're out. Yeah, I was like, 
I gave you a chance. I gave you a chance. Okay, by this time, what I felt for you is gone. You yeah. Know? I don't look up to you like that no more. Now you're a paycheck that's supporting me. Yeah. And, and, and it became a relationship like, let me go do my thing and you do your thing. Take care of the kids on Friday, Saturday while I go out with the girls. And then I'm, you're not going to hear nothing from me. <laughs> and that's how it was. And my mom would always tell him, like, you're, you're going to open up Pandora's box. And that's what happened. I began to experiment, experiment and experience life as a woman now. Because you... From 14, what, to 21, you're you're yeah. just being a mother, being going a to school, yep. doing the, the heavy lifting of the house. Yep. And now, this is usually what happens, right? The yep. kids are maybe out of pampers now, yep. and, and you can leave them with people on the weekend and go do your thing. Yep. So what is your thing? Nightclubs. Nightclubs. Party. Partying, coming home. He'd be in the room, come home with the girls, be in the living room, party till the next day. Just doing whatever. Drinking, getting high, doing our thing. So are you starting to spiral a little bit? Or oh, yeah. Are, are you, yeah. Oh, yeah. So now that's catching up to you. Yeah. And it's, and how is that affecting the kids? To be honest, they weren't my priority. Mm. You know, if we're going to be honest about it. Obviously, if I'm partying, I'm not paying attention that they need. So now you're getting away from... Yeah, that woman you yeah. kind of taking care of business, boss. Now you're sounding like, uh, are you just thinking like, I need a break? I, I, this is- While he was there, he gave me that break. Yeah, right. You know, because he, like I said, he's not going to tell me nothing. What's he going to tell me when he's doing his thing? Yeah. You know, it, it, he, I'd be hungover. He'd make me breakfast. It was that kind of exchange, you know, and, uh, um, you know, he never talked smack to me or anything like that. So I... I got away with with what I got away with, you know. I pushed it as far as I could, and then, you know, with that life, you start, men are around. And so, for me, that was an opportunity to get out of this marriage, and, you know, that's what I did. And uh, I got involved with somebody else, and I told them, gotta go. And that really is what started spiraling my life out of control, because I started bouncing around and you know, going from house to house and not really focusing on my kids like I should have. You know? well, and how old are your kids now? Or are they? They're that's that part of my life from my son was two till my daughter was my oldest was probably eight, seven, eight around there. And so, but they were with me everywhere, so they got to see everything. They got to see mom party. They got to see mom do her thing, and you know. Uh, hang out with the girls. Eventually I landed around the corner from my parents' house. I rented a house there and that was all bad because it was a row full of my homegirls. Across the street was my sister. You know, my other sister was right next to me. And let me guess, you were, you, you had the party house? The whole block was the party house. <laughs> the whole neighborhood. The whole, all of our kids, we'd be three, four in the morning, our kids would be running up and down the street. We'd be sitting out there in lawn chairs, <sighs> partying. Hey, we're watching our kids. You know, that was the excuse. And, uh, you know, that's when we started getting into little heavier drugs and stuff. And uh, just things started spiraling really out of control. So are you now just welfare? No. no you're well, you Because you always no, worked. I've always worked. Right? You always worked. I've always worked. That's what Melissa said. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Yeah. So I, even you were functioning. Yeah. 
I was functioning partier. Yeah, functioning partier, <laughs> pretty much, right? Yeah. I was trying to balance being a woman with independence and, you know, being this party person. And I had responsibilities. My kids, they were taken care of in that way. I did what I had to do. I, I worked. So you kind of turned into your dad a little bit where a little bit of neglect, but you did provide. Well, the, the feelings department shut down. Right. I was numb. I didn't feel anything. I love my kids. I provide. I felt like I provide for you. That's enough. enough. Right. That's enough. You know, I was a mom at such a young age that that became my whole enti- my entity. That's who I was. And at 14, who, who knows how to be a parent? Yeah. You know, there's no playbook to that. You know, there's no playbook when you're 30 and have a kid. But when you're 14, you're a kid. It's a whole different ballgame because you're a kid. Right. You're not even learning how to be a woman at this stage. You have to grow up really early. Um, And so I'm 21, 22, 23, that age when I'm, you know, it's it's on. You know, it's party all the time. Monday through Thursdays, it was okay. Pretty chill. And what were were you doing for a living? I was working um, in like accounts receivable for a plumbing company. So good to me. They were good, good to me. Good job. Yeah. Go to go home for lunch, get smoke a joint, go back. It was good. <laughs> that was my way of dealing with kids and life. Oh, so you're so I always ask people that are addicts. You do drugs for a reason, right? I mean, initially you start it because you want to party, yeah. but eventually you do it because you're trying to cover something. Yeah. You know, you're trying to whatever it may be, you know, I, I, I can't deal with this every second of the day with all these kids. I'm too young for this. I, I just want to, you know, there's always something that you're trying, some pain, some something that you're trying to get away from our cover. Yeah. Alcohol was always that for me. Uh, and then when the kids were at that age, weed was like oh, a stress reliever. Like I, I, I thought things were funny once I was high. Like, I don't care if you're jumping off the curtains. It's funny to me at that point. <laughs> You know, um, and so that was my coping mechanism then was, you know, uh, using uh, weed at that time. And then shortly after it progressed to to meth, you know, and it was uh, one of those things that, hey, try it. You're going to like it. Okay, so meth, I mean, it wasn't super popular back then. Right. It was kind of just coming on the scene. Mm-hmm. Did you think, like, it's not a big deal? And what was the initial feeling when you did it? When you don't care about yourself, you're like, who cares? You know? Whatever. Whatever. All right. You know, and uh, so I did it with the girls, and, man, it was a great feeling. Like, I could clean my house to death. I could. Oh. (laughs) So you weren't the not enough meth person. You were the hyper. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was like I could work. I was at work, like kicking butt at work. I was cleaning. I was going, 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 going until it was time to crash. Because as a mother of three, you probably were exhausted. All the time. There was times I was working two jobs. So I had to stay up. That was my excuse. I had to stay up. Right. (laughs) You know, and uh, um, it, it evolved from there. And then, you know. Money was there wasn't enough money. It was I was struggling. You know, I'm a single mom, three kids. 
you know, no steady relationship at the time. It was just, you know, having fun and doing what I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. Um, and then my bright mind decides, like, I need to make some real money. And um, I get into starting to take dope in prisons. And this wasn't his idea. This was mine. You know, I know a lot of people. So you met a guy that was in prison. My kid's dad. And Oh, and then you decide to, yeah. hey, let's make some money here. I'm like, no, it was like, listen, I got to support your kids. Oh, so it was your idea. It was my idea. See, this is where I'm afraid of you sometimes, Gabby. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're a gangster. I had to feed kids. I had to take care of Okay, it. so that was your just. That was the reason. Because some people, yeah, I was I was listening to this guy the other day, and he was saying, I became a mobster because out of need, out of necessity, yeah. not because I wanted, I, I like the lifestyle, is because, you know, I, I, I had, my father needed help, and the only way I seemed to help him quickly is for me to become what he was at one time, and so that's why he got into life. He, yeah. he always says it was like a need. It was a necessity. Yeah. So for you, there was a need. It was a need, but I also liked the life. I'm not going to kid you. You know, it was it was what I was accustomed to. You know, now I'm a little older, so I know, you know, people that are in and out of prison or, you know, um, I, that life. Right. I started becoming, uh, I started adapting to it. So I, I go see him and I'm like, look, I got your kids to feed. I know what dope how much dope goes in here for, um, let's do it. And he tells me no for a while. He tells me no, no, no. And he finally gives in. Remember, he's a heroin addict, so guess what? He needs something. He needs something. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, that's how it starts happening. You know, and I'm pretty good at it because I'm pretty smart. You know, I I know what I'm doing. I don't associate with people, don't let people know my business, blah, blah, blah. Taking dope in, taking dope in, making money. Finally, I'm like, ugh. Are you, is it, is, are you making good money? Yeah. Oh. Not as good as I should have, which I learned later because he was using more. Oh, so he was getting yeah. his, his supply. I was like, hey, I got to take care of my kids. I don't care what you do. Yeah. Just give me my cut. Um, and then it started expanding. Like I would give packages to other girls and, you know, get money from there. And so it started networking. <laughs> I, I didn't even know this part of your life. <laughs> this, this is... I mean, we've always been friends, and yeah. it's always been all love, and uh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And how long did that go on? That went on for about a year, and uh, I was Never visiting. were worried about getting caught? I wasn't, because I was pretty confident on how and what I was doing, and then, you know, everything comes to an end. And I was with an individual who uh, was doing the same thing, and neither one of us knew. We were in the same car, and they actually were on to her. Oof. And so when we were walking up to visit, um, they had a warrant for her. They had phone tapped her, did all that stuff, wiretapped her. They had a warrant for her, but because I was in the car, they had to um, they had to pull me to the side and, and strip search me and do all that stuff. But I was cool because I didn't have nothing on me that day. It was going to be for the next day. Wow. I was like... No worries. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I had my kid. I had my kids with me. That would have been all bad. Yeah. So they take us back there and 
you know, uh, she's she's not used to this life. She, this girl's, you know, a good girl, just was caught up with somebody that used her. And to me, I'm like, I ain't tripping. I'm you good. got nothing on me. I you just came to visit me. my Bye. old man. I'm out. So they let me go. But then I see the dogs in her car and my bag's in there. <sighs> and we usually would stop and drop it somewhere. But we were rushing that day. And my kids, when all this happened, I had to place them in, like in a child care center right there at the prison. And I go to the child care center and I could see from the window. Shoot. They're at the car. They're going to find it. <sighs> They're going to find it. They have and the dog on it. They have dogs there. There's no way. There's no They're way. going to find it. You know, so I'm like, all right, I got to prepare. I'm calling my sister. Hey, this is what's going on. You need, need to come the get kids. the kids. This isn't in, in Northern California. It's not around the block. Yeah. So I don't want my kids to see me get arrested. So I walk out. I walk out. And uh, it happens to be that I was walking out and my younger sister was visiting at the sister institution. She drives by. <laughs> and, what the heck? Yeah. It just happened to be that. And uh, I said, hey, you're going to have to get the kids. Get the kids. And she's like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm going to jail right now. So they cuff me up, take me, whatever, book me. Um. You know, I know what to do. Nothing, nothing, zero. You're not getting nothing. I, my, I assert my Fifth Amendment. Take me. And uh, so, how did you know that though? How did you know? Don't do say that. nothing. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm exercising my Fifth Amendment. You know, I don't have to say anything. Um, because of the life I've lived. It was yeah. just. It was something that you, was taught to you. You knew the game. Yeah, you knew the game. You know, you don't ever say anything. To which, is, which is funny because when you watch these shows, yeah. like First 48 or whatever, yeah. I always trip out on it because I'm like, they, they take them into the interrogation room and I'm just thinking, like, what are you doing? Why is he saying anything? <laughs> and then they just start yeah. pouring it out or they say something stupid. And I'm like, yeah. they're not your friend. I always talk to my gangster <laughs> friend about this, right? He's like, this people are dumb. Yeah. This people are dumb. And then my, my brother-in-law, the attorney comes and I go, Art. And he was from... The neighborhood, too. Yeah. He grew up in East L.A., so he was like, they're dumb. Yeah. You get arrested, you ask for your attorney, you don't say nothing. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of funny because you, you hear these, you see these shows, and the, and the guys are supposed to be gangsters and know what yeah. to do. They get arrested, and it's it, it, they're just incriminating themselves. Yeah, I mean, I love the life, and I knew it. Remember, my kid's dad was much older than I was, so he put me up on a lot of game. He uh, um, He was an old school he was really old school, so he, uh, I got to learn a lot, and you know, I was around the whole thing. You know, I had my homeboys, and I was always there was something in me that I was loyal. Like I was just not, you're not gonna break me. That that's not me. So you know, I go in and I bail out and start fighting my case out here. But during that time, like I lost control. I was like, I know I'm going, so I might as well have fun before I go in. How long are you fighting this case? Probably a year, less than a year. Wow. Yeah. Because they were trying to intimidate me and somebody. Give up other people. Well, yeah, but I was like, no, no, no. But then they brought in the fact that somebody died. And they said that it was off the dope that I brought in. And trying to intimidate me and that I can get, you know, charged with that. How and could I'm you like, prove that? I can't. Not cooperating. Not, there's nothing that you're going to do. Because to me, in my head, I, I was like, he was a second striker, my kid's dad. If I if I did something, he was gone. Like right. for me, I was like, I'll I'll do less than a year. So what? <laughs> you know. How old are you, right here? Probably twenty. 
five. No sweat. No. So you fight the case. Fight the case. I I get a uh, get found guilty. I don't even take it to trial. I, I've pleaded no contest. Um, they gave me like two hundred and sixty five days. Um, but remember, this is in Monterey County, so this ain't even my backyard. So I end up uh, during that time. Uh, I meet my ex husband, and um, he put me on a whole different level game. He was a dope dealer. He was in motels, that kind of life. Oh, okay. So this is the part where I have to ask, as your friend, because I remember and mm-hmm. I, I knew all three guys. Mm-hmm. I, I had conversations with them. You know, first one I knew probably better than than the other two, but I, I liked them all. I will admit, every time you got with with with, with a, another guy, it seemed. From my perspective, outside looking in, like I w- you would introduce me to them. Hey, how's yeah. it going? And I'll be like, man. And it would be like, that guy's rowdy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like back yeah. when you're a kid and, and, and with the 18 year old, I mean, it was, you know, we knew him and it was like, yeah, he's kind of street guy. And then you get with the, the, your, your two ba- babies, daddy. And I'm like, oh, man, he's, he's, he's from, like, he's a little bit more rowdy. Then the last one, I was like, yo, this dude is crazy. Gabby's crazy. Like, she, like, yeah. is getting crazier and crazier with, I didn't know with the life, but with yeah. with men. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was it was rough. What, uh, he was motel living, so I was there with him, and he was slanging dope and carrying guns, and that's just how it was. It became very normal to me. It was a fast life. and Was it exciting? Because you yeah. hear, like, these women, you know, on the on these documentaries, and they're like, "I liked it. It was exciting. It was it was crazy. It was scary, but it was exciting." And I and I, I got high off the excitement. Yeah, it, it it was all of that. It was all of that. Um. So I I even knew then though, like, Gabby, you're smarter than that. But I I you know it was too fun. It was it was fun. It was exciting. It was uh, my head wasn't in the right place. Oh, and uh, I end up getting involved with this guy, and then uh, I, I go, sorry, I got to go, time out. I got to go do some time, a little bit of time here. So I go do my time, and this is the first time I'm clean for a while. And I start, like, realizing, like, what am I doing to my kids? What am I doing? And I ask my parents, don't bring my kids. I don't want to see them when I'm here. They don't need to see me here. So being busted in jail yeah. gives you time to think. Yeah. It gives me time to think, starts putting things in perspective. Um, you know, you, you always know, like, people come in and out of your life, but my kids are forever. But that gave me an opportunity really to sink in and think about that, you know. And I knew my parents did bring my kids, and seeing them was just, like, crushing to me. Like, my son's my baby, you know, and, and he loves his mama, and he missed me, and I missed my daughter's graduation from elementary. I missed my son's kindergarten graduation. Mm. I missed my my middle daughter's birthday, and I started realizing the impact it's having on their life. I mean, yeah, that's it. Ends up catching up to you. You get to think about it. Your kids come to you to the to visit you. How old are they now? My son's five, five or six around that time. So then. Seven and then 
10. So they're, they're they, they know what's going on. Oh, they yeah. know mom, mom's. Oh, my kids away. knew new games since they were little. <laughs> they knew what was up since they were little. Yeah. And what's first time in jail? Yeah. How rough was that? It was rough because I'm from LA. And these girls are all northerners. So, and, and you know it, they know it. And so you got to do what you got to do. And then I end up going to an area where a single cell for most of the part. Um, but it's not like the guys either. It's not like that. Girls tend to be more, you know, not as crazy as the guy section. It, 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 it That does get involved, but it's not as bad as, as it could have been with the guys. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just doing my time going to self-help groups in there, you know, just waiting it out. Now, as a as a girl that grew up with God, are you? Are, is there any sense of that still? Or are you just kind of like, nah? I've always been connected to God through my good or bad times. Like I genuinely love God. Have loved God since before my mom and dad started going to praise chapel. I have had encounters even from before there. Um, I always knew that He's the only one to come back to. Yeah. Yeah. That love me unconditionally. That's how I felt. And so I always, like, man, I messed up again, God. You know, and it's like, but you're my dad. Like, you're the only one that really loves me like that. And you'll take me back. You know, so I've always had a connection with God. No matter where I've been in my life, um, I've just genuinely loved God. Um, so, uh, finish out my time there. Come home. And I'm like, okay, I'm focused. I'm focused. I got to get back on. I know I got to work. I know. And is your, is your husband still wilding? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's calmed down in a sense, but all the underlying issues are there. Still the there. anger, the, the, you know, and I get back, we know, he, we, he, you know, I get out, He's he picks me up out of my mom's house, and it's, my parents like, oh, there's this guy again. <sighs> You know, so me and my dad, I've always bumped heads. Never been on the same page. I knew I had to get out. Being in my mom's house was not going to happen for me. So that I was out within three months. I was working and moved out with, with him uh, and the kids. But, you know, and I've always been a private person. So whatever I was going through with him or with anything in my life, very few people knew. Yeah. You know, so there I go living in Cudahy of all places. Right of hay. And, uh, you hey, know. hey, I lived there for a while. So <laughs> that was his stomping grounds, mm. and it was really bad. It was yeah. really, really bad. Uh, the abuse, the physical abuse, the emotional abuse, the you know, he was cheating all the time. You know, I'm trying to make it, you know, I'm trying to work, and you know, he's a dope man. So here's like, here, here, here. It's too easy not to. So I dabble in and out. And I'm playing footsies here. Trying to do it. Trying to not. You know. Uh, it gets me into a couple predicaments. Some heavy predicaments that I had to get myself out of. Because he certainly wasn't the man to step up and take care of it. I always had to take care of what I had to take care of. Get myself out of situations. Um, and uh, it eventually, you know, that marriage lasted 10 years. I was with him for about 12 years. Wow. Um, and it, it, it only lasted that long because I made it last that long. 
certainly wasn't anything that he was doing. You know, he was out there running amok in and out of prison. When he was free, it was all bad. It was bad. In fact, my daughter was laughing yesterday. She brought up an old memory that and I'm just like, those things never leave kids head. Yeah, right. They just don't. Like you can get better and you can become a better person, but your kids are like your diary. Yeah. Well, remember in 1993 when you did this at this time? Yeah. Right. Oh, they yeah. don't forget. They don't forget. They don't forget. Oh. So you do you leave him or he leaves you? Or it just... He goes to prison for like six years. Um, and that was the best thing that could happen to me because it gave me the opportunity to find me. Uh, I, I cleaned up, started going to church, focus on my kids, working, getting, you know, now I'm starting to do better. Started to find a, a career at this point. And, and the drug habit, when did that stop? I, it, it, I dabbled in and out for okay. years, but it stopped there when he went away because the dope was gone. And you're like, I'm not spending money on that. I'm no not going to go look for it. <laughs> you know? So I'm trying to do for my kids. And and then uh, he comes home. And it's crazy. But now I'm different. Now I know what it is to be sober. Now I know what it is to be financially secure. I don't need you. You're, you're actually a burden to me now. Wow. Because you're not bringing nothing to the table. And I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking emotionally. We, we were never on the same page. Yeah, because if he's if there's abuse and then he goes away, he needs you more than you oh, need yeah. him. For sure. For sure. But I, I felt like I'm married to this guy. Like, I didn't want to fail again. You wanted to be loyal. I wanted to be loyal. I didn't want... I, I just didn't want to divorce again. Like, I wanted to make this last. I wanted, not because he deserved it, but because, like, I didn't want to be divorced again. Like, what are you doing? You know, here's another one. You know, I didn't want that. Yeah. You know, I wanted to try as hard as I could. To make it work. But trying as hard as I could broke me. Eventually broke me. So I, I did come to a point where it just got so violent and, you know, abusive and and control the yeah, I couldn't breathe anymore and I ended up leaving but I found my, my my mind cracking at that point from years and you know it wasn't it wasn't the the breakup of that marriage it was like I felt I lost myself I allowed so much stuff to go on this and I'm not sitting here blaming him because I allowed it but you allow it because you don't love yourself Mm. Like how how do you love yourself if you're gonna allow that stuff? You know, it's, I didn't know a, how to. It's a weird thing for 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 people to understand that emotion. I mean, yeah. like I said, you had the, the 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 fortitude, the mental fortitude to be a 14 year old girl and say, no, I'm gonna handle this business. But then you you're you're clinging onto a guy that's just yeah. a, a heavy burden anchor to yeah. what wherever you're trying to sail to. Well, that's what happens when you're 14 years old trying to be an adult. You don't have time to develop what's right and what's that's wrong, what's point. healthy, what's not healthy, your boundaries. When you don't have self-esteem and you don't love yourself because things that stem from your childhood, like how do you expect somebody to love you when you can't even love yourself? You know, so I'm at that point where that relationship is ending, I found myself like, 
literally my mind was breaking. Like I couldn't stop crying and I didn't know why. I I couldn't like my spirit just like broke, my mind broke and and I was spiraling mentally. Mentally like and it, like I said it wasn't because that relationship was over, it was like all the years of abuse of of not feeling love from childhood to that point, it finally caught up to me. Like here I was, I always prided myself in like, I'm always going to handle business. I'm always going to take care of my kids. You're never going to see me break, but everybody has a breaking point. Yeah, Everybody does. I don't care how strong you are. And that 14 year old little girl came back and she was broken beyond repair at that point. I didn't know how I, I was just uncontrollable. You know, I remember listening to uh, a CD by uh, Sheila Walsh, a Christian uh, writer. And she, she said that, that she felt like her mind broke and it described exactly how I was feeling. And I didn't know how to fix it. And I knew that I was in trouble, like literally in trouble. I was at work and I couldn't even function anymore. I was crying on my way home to, to, uh, to home and work and back. And it was, it was weird. It was like something I couldn't control. And I'm a control, like, that's a problem for me. I need to control everything. And, uh, I ended up getting help. I got help. You know, I, you know, it's, it's weird. I, I talked to my friend. He came in here, his doctor, Mario Rocha. And he, he, we were saying how all the feelings, if they don't get fixed, mm-hmm. we, you just bury them. But they're buried alive, so oh. they're so they're covered, and you know you don't always see them or feel them. They're covered and they're right here, still hovering, and eventually those things that were buried alive become unburied, and, and and it's it always ends up happening. He he was telling me he was saying it it'll eventually come out, and yeah. it might come out like like in your situation, it might come out something and violent it might come out something you know uh just where you just lose your mind almost you know yeah Yeah, so i prided myself in not letting my kids see me break i never did i needed them to see like i got this don't you know there's nothing for you guys to worry about mom will take care of it but this i this was out of my control and i started just breaking and at that time my husband who i'm married to now came back into my life and he's he's been my homeboy since I've known him since I was twelve. Um, he went to prison at an early age, and then uh, at that point of my life, he came back, and I'm like, he's back. My friend is back. Like I needed my friend, and he—that's exactly what he was. He was my friend during that time, and I'm getting help, and I have him. What kind of help are you getting? I'm going to to see a psychiatrist, a psychologist. I'm going to intense therapy. Which which is crazy cuz in in the, in the neighborhood that's oh, yeah. like taboo. Yeah. Like what what are you doing? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I knew that if I didn't there was suicide in, in my thoughts. Yeah. You know, and so I ain't going out like that. My kids deserve better than right. that. I deserve better than that. I knew something inside of me was like no. Yeah. Go get help. And I did. I did and um I was going to like therapy twice a day. Wow. For uh, uh, six weeks. And then after that, I was, you know, doing it like twice a week. It does wonders, right? It does a lot of things. Like I tell people that all the time, yeah. like, like just go. Yeah. You know, go to a professional yep. 
They know what to say and how to get things out of you. You're going to feel good. Yep. Just go get help. Like, yep. hey, you know, and and it just, it does a, it does a, a wonder. Yeah, to a professional because I knew that that person didn't know me. Yeah. They weren't going to judge me. And, like, if you have a broken arm, you're going to go get a cast and get it fixed, right? If you have diabetes, you're going to go get insulin. Right. Well, my mind was broken. My mind was broke. My heart was broken. My spirit was broken. And I needed that help. And even if it was just talking to that person, even if it was, and I was like, before I was like, I'm not getting on no happy pills. Yeah. You're not going to, that's not going to, and she explained that to you me. You already been there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. She's like, wait a minute. If, like I said, if your arm is broken, you're going to get a cast while well, your mind is broken. And sometimes there's a chemical imbalance sure. in you. And you need help to transition back into a normal phase. And I, I was like, I'm going to take it. Whatever you give me, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do it. Because I have whatever I've been doing hasn't worked. So I did and um, teach you a lot of things. How, to how, diary. Hard, how hard is that for a person that's always in control to finally say things are out of control? Um, I think I didn't even have a choice. You know, it was either. Help. Yeah, it, it was either get help or die. No choice again. No choice. Yeah. And I deserve better. My kids deserve their mom whole. And um, I did, and, and it was like a life changer for me. And then my husband coming in, who's not my husband, uh, coming into my life, and he's going through a transitional phase where he's going, starting to change a lot of things in his life, and I'm going along with that ride with him. And we he starts teaching me things that blow my mind. For the first time, I felt like I loved myself. Like I had to forgive myself for the things that I did. How I've harmed my kids. Because your kids don't walk out of this unscathed. No. You know, I, I live with, I still live with the scars that I created in them. You know, and, uh, um, you know, going through a lot of the self-help groups that he was going through, he would send me material. We would talk at visit. You know, we, you know. Okay, so you're... Husband, or it wasn't your husband at the time. Yeah. He, your friend. Yeah. L- l- we didn't tell the audience, but th- he was a lifer. He's a lifer, right? Yeah. So when Melissa tells me, "Oh, Gabby's homeboy, <laughs> she's with this new guy," and I was like, "Great," <laughs> but he's a lifer, and I was like, "Wait, what?" He's like, he, I, I, "Gabby's crazy." Like, yeah. okay, now we, we we just keep going. From the outside looking in, right? We just keep going up this slippery slope, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and I'm just like, okay, like, she went from this guy, this guy, and now she's with a lifer, and I was like, well, maybe that's good. <laughs> maybe it's yeah. a good thing, but okay. Yeah, so he's a lifer. Uh, he became a lifer when he was 18. I've known him all my life. Uh, he comes into my life, and, you know, uh, he changes it. And... I've never been one to care about people's opinions or ask for it or ask, seek approval. Like, I'm sure people had, like, what the heck she doing? And I was like, I'm going to do me. I know him, and he knows me, and that's what we're going to do. And I don't care what anybody thinks. Because there was no promises. No. No. But was, it, but was it safe? You know, when people look at women that go for lifers, I mean, there is a, a, a stigma of, like, maybe – it's easier for them because they don't have to deal with the day-to-day, this guy in their life. And he's a lifer. He's 
going to sweet talk. He's going to, you know, he's going to say all the nice things because he needs the, he needs that too in, in there, especially, right? Yeah, I would say for a big portion of the population, that's probably true because I've seen it, you know. Um, we were the exception. But because you, you knew him. I knew him. I knew him really well. You know, we had been actually in, in each other's lives a couple times since we were kids, you know, in, in that sense. Um, he always loved me. He's loved me since we were kids. And so I knew, he, and he always took care of me then. So I knew I had somebody I could trust. He wasn't there for, and he, from the onset, was not looking for a relationship. He was like, we're back to get, like, we're friends, like, we're, we're back. And, uh, it progress. I wanted more, but he was like, wait a minute. You don't know what you're, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm a lifer. Right. Like, I'm and at this time he's already now. been down, he's what? Been down 20 years, maybe Gee. 20, 19 years around that time. You know, he had just come back down from, from Pelican Bay had been there many years. And so this is, you know, he finds me and at, at the right time. And I know, I know when I look back now, it was God's timing. And so he's on this journey now for change. He knew he wanted to change as well. And he took- was he involved in there? Like, on, yeah. uh, or, okay. So yeah. he's involved. Now he's like, I just, I need something else. Funny story. He's in the Bay. Um, and he sees the movie, The Shack. He doesn't know God. He's, you know, he has no intimate relationship, but he knew that fit, that movie spoke to him. And that, that's, what turned on that light bulb for him. He knew and that life was always there for him, but he knew that for himself, he needed to start making some changes. Which is huge, huge. for a lifer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he's a lifer and he's struggling with that. And he struggled for, for a while, you know, because that's the life. You're a lifer, you, you, this is what you do. Every day. Every day. But for some reason, he started going down this path of digging deep and starting to heal old wounds and understanding why was he the way he was, starting to understand remorse and empathy and all those things that, and he's taking me along this journey. And so I'm learning like a lot. He's sending me material. We're talking about this. He's, I start getting involved with the lifer community, um, start attending seminars and doing things like that reading on it and through all of that like i started healing and he's healing and we become completely different people you know and we start looking at life different so we end up getting married in there um which is crazy because you you think of a guy doing life and 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 to be able to look at life different is is you know, after so many, after twenty years of being yeah. being in there, it's kind of impossible. Like you, you. I, I mean, I, I, most guys give up hope. Hey, uh, this is what it is. I'm, I, I am who I am. Yeah, nothing's gonna change. But to say, uh, hey, I'm gonna make a turn here. I find somebody. Yeah, she's in a turn for her betterment of her yeah. life too, and we connected. Yeah, yeah, we did, and it's mind-blowing and it's hard to explain that to people because you feel like you're selling him and us to people and i'm like i don't need to like i i I know me and him you know i know where i'm at and 
it became evident in my life because, like, my kids were like, man, mom, whatever's happening, it's making you happy. It's changing you. I start feeling, like, the the weight of anger and resentment. I, I, tried, I learned to forgive my dad. I learned to forgive myself. That was the biggest one. I carried that around for a long time because I I harmed my kids. And because of that, my kids have went through some things. They still are going through things. Um, so I had to learn to forgive myself and learn how to set boundaries. That was huge for me. The loyalty thing, because that's what you grow up doing. You're going to be loyal. I was loyal to individuals that didn't deserve my loyalty. Mm. You know, even family members, you know, and, and you give, you give because that's who you are. Like I'm going to do, uh, you need, you need out of that jam. You need me to pick you up because they want to shoot you or you, they, you need out of this jam or this don't, I got you. But I started realizing it wasn't being reciprocated here. And I'm like, that's not, that's not loyalty. That's stupidity. Yeah. One-sided. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I know who I am. I'm loyal, but I started changing the mentality and started setting boundaries, you know, with, even with family, even with friends, like. I'll do this, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You know, and I'm here for, for this and I'm going to tell you cause I love you, but don't expect me to sit here and pat you on the back or, you know, I just started changing my mentality and it threw some people off. Some people left my life and it is what it is. Um, but it did, it, it changed me for the better being with this man and, um, we got married, you know, uh, um, a lot of stuff just started changing in my life. Like I, like really the weight just started coming off and, um, doing a lot of healing. I, I asked my kids for forgiveness. You know, that's one thing, even in my dad's death, like I didn't, what I learned was I don't want to leave this earth. My kids not knowing how much I love them and how much I'm sorry for what the things that I caused in their life. And, uh, I that those are things that you learn along the way. Do you feel that your dad, when he passed, that there was still some stuff left on the table? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think my dad had the capacity of owning up to the things that he had done. That's a very good word, and I use that word a lot because I think when you understand the capacity of somebody you're dealing with. You realize it's it's not all their fault. Yeah. And you just realize, like, they just don't have the capacity to be a good father or be a good friend. Like, I've learned that over the years where it's like, I'm expecting way more. Oh, yeah. And then I have to say, why am I expecting so much? Because I'm like you. I give so much. And then I'm expecting that back. And when they don't give it back, then I'm like, hey, what the heck? Yeah. Right? But then I've learned to realize... The capacity of my friends or yeah. family is only so much sometimes. Of course, you got those great friends, great family yeah. that'll do anything for you and they give it right back. But there, there is a capacity that we have to understand with yeah. some people that they just don't have it. Yeah. Unfortunately. And, and I had to understand the whole picture because from a selfish point of view, I was a wounded young girl and all I wanted him to say, I'm sorry, I screwed you up. Mm. I'm sorry. I know I did this, this, this and that and I'm sorry. That's all I ever wanted. But I look at it as a whole now, and my dad had a jacked up life. And and so he knew, he did what he knew how to do. He didn't have a father figure. He didn't have a mother figure. So he became the man he became. And it's 
it's okay. That's his life. He's going to answer to, to the Lord for whatever, you know, and I had, and, and he did, he died and never was resolved. Mm. And that's okay too. Yeah. Because I had to forgive him for me. Yes. Like you didn't ask me, but I'm going to give you because I need that released. Right. You know, it, it's, it's, it's okay, dad. I, I love you for, because you're my dad. And I'm not going to sit here and continue to look in that bag with all those resentments and bring it back up. It's just not going to, it's not worth it. You know, it, it's not going to create that baggage in my life anymore. I'm not going to give it that light. What was, I think I went to your dad's funeral. I would say the highlight and kind of sad part of the funeral, I would have to say was your mother talking about him. And, I remember sitting there and thinking your mom, like, gee, she, she, she basically poured out her heart and said, you know, that everything she wanted from, she never got. But in the last couple of months that he was sick, he turned into this guy that was somebody totally different. And I was like, how sad it was, it was, it was beautiful, I guess for your mom's healing. Right. Yeah. But it was sad because they were I mean, what, 50 years together, yeah. you know? And so I, w I just remember being like, oh, my God. Like, and just, like, you know, like, breaking for your mom. Like, yeah. it was just like, oh. Like, really felt that during during the funeral that day. Yeah, I think she struggled with that after he passed. Because imagine what it is to live your entire life not being the person to your mate. Yeah. How, how do you live with that? Like, I know when I look in my husband, I know I'm the one. I know that. I feel it. He, show, he shows me. He tells me. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. I could not imagine living in a marriage for 50 years and not being that one. Like, how painful that must be. Right. We've had that conversation, my mom and I, and she's very open with us. We've had very many conversations about this and, She'll, she'll, she breaks down and she'll tell me, you're a lucky, you're a lucky woman that you have the man that loves and adores you the way you do. He looks at you and it says it all. And I'm saddened by that. Yeah. She never experienced that. She never experienced that. You know, and so we've all learned some lessons through this. You know, she's, she's doing great. She's back in school. <laughs> I'm sure she's her. in the yard doing stuff, right? Yeah, she's doing good. Somebody somebody posted a picture. One, I, I don't know if it was you or maybe one of your sisters, and she's in the yard working. I think my mom went to visit her and <laughs> seen her out there. But now, your husband. Yeah. So the story doesn't end with him doing life. No. No. Tell us about that. So he goes in at 18, and he actually is fighting uh, a case with double murder. And then another murder case. Um, in the case that the double murder, he ends up getting 15 to life. And then the other murder, he ends up getting manslaughter. So together, it's 15 to life plus 10 years. Um, in the one that he was in for the double murder, he was not the shooter. Um, he was in the vehicle, but he was not the shooter. But he got convicted for life on that one. Hmm. Uh, ironically... For the one he got manslaughter, he was the shooter. And he got manslaughter. I think they felt like it was a deal. We, we got him anyways with life. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's the point? Well, you fast forward 20, I would say 24 years and a Senate bill gets introduced, um, which changes the California felony murder rule that says if you weren't a direct participant in the crime, like you were not the shooter and you didn't aid and evade and you, um, there was certain theories in law that didn't, that if those didn't apply, then you'd be eligible to have your sentence, uh, overturned or resentenced according to the participation of the crime. Okay. So we're lo- I'm lobbying, going up to Sacramento, putting in the work, getting his file, doing all this stuff. I'm like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We start seeing it pass, pass, pass each, each uh, level and finally passes. Um, but California's slow. Judges don't like change like that. That's a huge change in reform. Huge change. Because right. California has the biggest population of lifers. And prior to this, gov- uh, prior to Governor Brown, there was a less than 0.2% of lifers getting out. Didn't happen. You were coming out with the toe tag. You're going to come out in a coffin. Yeah. Governor Brown came in and started setting the tone for reform. Um, and so this this bill actually happened under him. Um, so he this happens, and I'm excited. But knowing me being in law, I know it's too early in the game. Judges are not used to this. District attorneys don't know how to handle this. Let's slow down. Let's not do do anything. Um, let a year go by. You're seeing all kinds of cases being denied, 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 denied. I'm like, okay, they don't they don't like it. I go see a couple attorneys. They tell me, you know what? I show them all his paperwork, his transcripts, everything. We don't think he qualifies. We don't think he qualifies. Don't waste your money. Two two different attorneys. And I'm like, based on what though? What what is he? Why doesn't he qualify? Because or in their opinion. In their opinion, because something he had said in his parole hearing mm. that could incriminate him, that would disqualify him. So, I'm talking. We're talking, and he he's not very proactive in the sense like he doesn't like to get disappointed. He don't want to. I mean, when you do that many years, yeah. you're, you're you're not optimistic no. about stuff like that. No. You're like, okay, no. yeah, whatever. And I'm like, what do we gotta lose? What's the worst they can say? No. And he's like. All right, put in the paperwork. So I send him the petition. All you have to do is sign it. All you have to do is sign it. I send you the envelopes with stamps. Send it back. This was in June of last year. And then by July, the court had received his petition and uh, accepted it. Accepted it for review. Well, that's the first step. They're going to review it. Nothing much. I know that I know how this works. He's this like, usually takes he's probably like whatever. Yeah, yeah. Let her. Let me get her off my off my back. Right. Did you see the Dodger score? <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's not thinking on. much. He's not yeah. thinking much. And I know a lot of people that are have filed these petitions. It takes about two three years to resolve them. I'm like, ah, uh, it's gonna take two three years for us to even get anywhere. Nope. I get this amazing amazing public defender. I link up with him. A public defender. A public defender. Okay. I don't even which, which which have a bad rap, right? Yeah. Because yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm ready. I'm willing to pay a private attorney, but they're telling me no. I'm wasting my money. So I'm like, all right, I, I don't have a choice. I'm going to PD. Wow. So get a public defender. It gets assigned to a special unit. So I get a hold of this public defender. I introduce myself. 
amazing public defender, Jonathan Cruz from, from LA County Public Defender's Office. Um, we, we talk often, email each other. Often he keeps me updated. I'm listening to court calls. And then I'm like, oh, wait. He's like, I'm going to get him out. And I'm like, I don't even want to tell him at this point. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to mess that, him Yeah, up. you don't play like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's like, your husband's got a good case. So we, we're progressing. Judge says, I need the defense to brief it, blah, blah, blah. By March of this year, I know that the, the district attorney said, we're not fighting it. We, we think he, he, he should be released. They don't wow. oppose it. So at wow. this point, they're reaching out to the, 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 the families of the victims. Because that's you know law. They got to do that. They don't respond. Huh. On April 1st, they resentence him. They take away his life sentence. So the 15 to life sentence was dropped. The charge was dropped for murder. It was dropped to assault with the firearm. And he was sentenced to a year. <sighs> a year. Which he's done 28 at yeah. this point. Right. He's done the 10 for the manslaughter. He's done a year for for this crime. And he gets released the week after. Okay, that's a crazy story. Yeah. That's a crazy story. Yep. So, all right, I have some questions after his release, but leading up to his release. Okay, so that is a big, you're in the legal yeah. field. That is a big issue on, on, on many sides, right? I, I just had Trino Jimenez. Mm-hmm. He he was a he was actually victim. His brother got murdered, but he was an advocate for his brother's murder, which was amazing to me. Like, yeah. like gee, bro. And and in talking to him, I kind of just told him I've always been a, a a crime and punishment type guy. Mm-hmm. That's that's my thing. Like it's it's. You know, even with our, our, our friend Ruben that's, mm-hmm. you know, on death row, it was kind of like, man, but he, he did do that. Like, yeah. it's 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 awful. But with the exception of this, a couple of things, and it's going to sound weird to, to a lot of people out there from me. Yeah. But being convicted as a youth. Yeah. I think that's that's rough because when you're a youth and then being convicted, I don't know if, if your husband was convicted as involved in the gang life. And I say, was it was it a gang deal? Yeah. Okay, so my two criteria, which is going to sound a little bit off on the on the on the gang criteria, but when you're involved in that life, it's like kill or, kill or be killed, yeah. right? I mean, you're kind of it's not like an innocent person, or it's in that lifestyle yeah. of of you're going to take my life or I'm going to take yours. Yeah. So it doesn't make it right. Don't yeah. get me wrong out there, everybody. Don't, it doesn't make it right. It's it's an awful thing for everybody. But I think you know those guys kind of know the the game they're playing. You yeah. Know? One of my good friends told me, you know, when when he got into his neighborhood in Pomona, yeah. Uh, you know, his, he remember getting jumped in, and his uncle told them, and his and the new little homeboys that got jumped in. He goes, "Some of you are gonna go to jail, mm-hmm. and some of you are gonna die." And he said, it, 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 it was real then. Like, yeah. they realized it. They were youngsters, you know, teenagers. So I agree with uh, with a couple of things. One is, you know, in, in the heat of the crime, like, that's got to be looked at. Like, what, yeah. what was the circumstances of that crime? 
the age, I, I do have a big problem with that. It, it, it is to do something as a, as a youth, you don't, you don't, you're you don't in, have the mental capacity. Yeah, you don't have the mental capacity. That. You don't have the you have the influence of maybe older people that are in your life that don't have your best interests at heart. And then, like you said, with the with the victims, I think that you know, I asked Trina that too. Do you think victims should have, or their families? I'm sorry, should have some sort of, at least a say. Not not whether they go free or not, but to speak their thing. It's, yeah. You know, I mean, it is it is a a slippery slope. Yeah, that's a really wide topic because California is notorious for punishing to the extreme. Right. They've got all these enhancements. They got, it's insane. It's like your intent is to put these people away for life and not even thinking about the factors that caused them to do what they did. Right. Like start rehabilitating some of these individuals so they don't recidivate and go back to prison. There's a reason the majority of black and brown youth, because they come from broken homes. Right. Yeah. They're jacked up. So what's your outlet? Anger, violence. That's what you do. That's your gang becomes your family. And I say that and I, I've been on both sides. My grandson's father was murdered. I've had to raise my grandson. Yeah. You know, from his dad being murdered. My daughter was shot. Almost died this year. I know what it is. And even like in my daughter's situation, I didn't have anger. Like you said, you're in the game. You're in the game. You know, I, I, I was, I've been on both sides. And so I think that people want to look at it from a black and white perspective. And there's so much more to it. Yeah, because it, it, it is gray. I, I, in, in talking to Trino and even my brother-in-law about that, which he, he was a public defender for a long time. He just went back to private practice. You know, he, he's like, there, there's no black and gray when it comes to that. I mean, black and white when it comes to that. There's, there's a lot of gray. Yeah. And, I, and I even asked Trino, I said, you know, you know, like a murderer of such like, you know, is, is that straight evil, maybe like a, yeah. a, a Dahmer yeah. or Manson, yeah. right? Like we, Richard like, Ramirez. Yeah. Richard yeah. Ramirez. Like we're like, now yeah. you do not need to come back. But a guy that's kind of been like rehabilitated or has he, what has he done with his time in yeah. there? You know, is he just getting in trouble? Is he, is he, you know, uh, just, just doing all kinds of negative stuff, just eh, whatever. Or, you know, going to school or staying out of trouble. I mean, all those factors. And then the factors, like you said, of of where did they come from? You know, I, I think I, I do empathize with, with Ruben's plight. He didn't come. You know, we know Ruben. He's, on, he's in death row. I, I do have a, a heart for that because I knew he had a rough life. Mm-hmm. And, and and I do agree that those factors. So, so my heart has... Softened. softened for a lot of that because I began to look at that even when even when you you posted about your husband Ginana I was like yeah I don't in my heart of hearts I really don't agree like with it with the youth being sentenced to life because it, yeah. it it's life yeah <laughs> yeah and I I think like I said California has some really hard sentences I think and I believe if you do the crime you got to do time I, I believe that but do it according to the crime. Right. You know, my, my son went to prison, you know, uh, and they were trying to hit him with 28 years. First time he shot a gun in the air. So that warrants 28 years. Yeah. Like yeah. you're not looking at him as a human being. You're looking at him like, let's get him off the street and, and, and 
let them rot in there. What do you think is going to happen in there? They're going to become animals and savages. They're going to learn. They're going to get their ed- street education in there. Right. You know, why don't we try to focus on this angry young man that grew up without his father? How about that one? Yeah. You know, I had to pay a lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars to get his sentence to seven years. You know, but not many people can do that. And so they end up getting 28 years because of the enhancements. And. Do you think this, I asked my brother-in-law this, is it a racial thing or is it an economical thing? I think well, it's both. I always feel it's a it's a class thing, an economical thing. Because I feel if you have money, you have a way better chance of getting out. Yeah. Um, a lot of people blame it on the race. And maybe... maybe There's the, a component the, to that. The, cli- the climate... Of, of these neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods are black and brown. Yeah. It's, it's a fact. Um, but I always feel like if you have money. Yeah. Or if you have a good lawyer like your husband ended up getting, which is yeah. plug defender, super rare yeah. to get anybody that cares, you know. Yeah. But what, what would you say? What would, what would be your opinion on that? I, I think our inner communities are just flooded with injustices like that. And it happens to be black and brown communities. Um, you know, you you take a look around. This youth is lost. You know, they're, they're running amok. And, and then they get into the penal system. And it just gets worse. It gets worse. And, and it, it's hard to not put race into it. Because if you look at the prison population, the majority is black and brown. Right. You know, and... You know, if you eat, and if we talk about it from a socioeconomic class, if you put a black or brown individual in Newport Beach, guess who's going to get pointed out first? It's going to be them. They're going to be the outsiders, you know. Uh, so I do think they both play a major factor. Um, you know, I think with all the reform going on, we're going to see some improvement. I think that some of the stuff's too extreme. I think oh. we need to find a balance. Okay, I, I, I do think some of the stuff's extreme. Yeah. You know, I think... Um, Like like this this new DA, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the stuff is just like too extreme. Where there, it, it it almost becomes lawless, you know. Where where we're we're where we're not, you know, Gascon. Where we're we're, we're letting people go free. Our, our our no bail. And I don't want to get into every detail, yeah. everything, but I think it I think it's a little bit too lenient where we're we're allowing it more to happen. Where it's almost like, you know, let's defund police. And let's also um, reduce all these sentences, and let's make these crimes really low and, and and no bail. And I think it's like it creates this big, it almost makes it worse. I'm not saying that punishment is the greatest thing. I believe rehabilitation, yeah. which there's got to be something in the prisons that say, hey, let, if you do this, you can, you, yeah. you know, we'll 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 reduce this. I think that's huge. Like you go to these classes, you. Get an education, whatever. I think that's huge, but not everybody does it, and not everybody offers it. Yeah. But I think I think when it's too lenient, I think it's just it, it creates a a climate of of uh, of crime. Yeah. And it gets dangerous for everybody. I think he has. He's definitely. I think change is difficult for for everybody. Yeah. So when we've had 
a legacy in LA and California of being very conservative and hard on, on crime. Right. So when you have somebody that comes in and shakes it up, of course, it's going to be extremely uncomfortable for people because you point out those extremes like the no bail. But if, if somebody was to be rich and they can bail out for that same crime, how fair is it for the guy in the neighborhood not to bail out because he doesn't have the funds. And so he's got to sit there in the county jail for three years. But, so, what, but what do you say to the, I'll play devil's advocate with you here. What do you say to the kid that does make it out or doesn't get involved in that lifestyle and grows up in the same neighborhood? Why is he able to do that? I think people deal with trauma differently. I grew up with, there was eight of us and each one of us, dealt with that trauma differently. So you came from the same pot. My husband, he's the only one that went to prison out of his siblings. How do you explain that? Because he just dealt with trauma different. He his his DNA was woven differently. You know, he reacted differently. He responded differently. Um and so I I think when you look at it as a whole, it's difficult to understand. You got you gotta start parsing yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think it's it's Multiple facets yeah. of, of a problem. Yeah. I, I, I really do. I mean, do I do I say, you know, I, I look at guys and I, and I work with a lot of guys. I'm in construction. A lot of guys come to construction because their lives were, you know, that nobody would hire them. Mm-hmm. Right? Your husband's in construction now, yep. right? So, <laughs> uh, and, I, and I always go, it's a great trade. It's, it's a great thing. You can make great money. Like, I love it because guys get a second chance. I have so many guys. I mean, we had a a, a kid that had 25 years, got mm-hmm. convicted when he was like 17 years old, did 13 years, got out. He's just happy to be out and, yeah. and alive and working and making a good living. You know, um, I look at those stories and, I'll, and I'm I'm super happy for those stories. And, and, and it was a lot of rehabilitation. Um, but then there's 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 guys that just constantly in and out. In and out. I mean, and, and it creates a, a, a revolving door. Yep. Um, what do you say to to that to, to that culture where it's just yeah. like nothing changed? Like your husband, I'm happy for him. Yeah. I mean, I've seen pictures that you post of him, and I know he's kind of shy. He probably doesn't even want me. <laughs> but with his first check, yep. you know, with going to his do- first Dodger game in, in decades. Yep. Decades. Yep. Since the last time they won the championship. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. I thought yeah. that was funny, um, but I mean, I'm happy. But I, I, I just think that is is your husband's case, and the way it turned out, and the way he turned out. What is the what is that percentage? For, so people out there know, like, what is that percentage that a guy like him comes out and and does as well as he's doing? So I think in the population in prison, you got your lifers and you got your determinate sentences people that are have a date i think that the people doing life you'll see a higher success and rehabilitation with them because they have to do the work if they want a shot at ever seeing freedom they have to do the work the parole board looks at them and scrutinizes every part of them looks at their c file looks they dig in this is what they're trained to do um and so they need to know that when this person moves out and becomes your neighbor, he's not going to commit another crime. Sure. So these guys have to do the work. They, they're they in self-help. They really do start digging in, healing. 
when you got guys with determinate sentences, they're getting out. Mm. Never thought about that. They're getting out. And I, I use my son as a perfect example. I have my husband that, that was a lifer. My son did five years. My husband, my son didn't go to self-help groups. I remember writing him, tell him, hey, do something in there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was in a level four and was on lockdown probably 90% of his whole sentence. Me. But when you want change, you'll go get it. You know, and so I think that is the difference. When you see real rehabilitation, it often happens with people doing long terms. And you do see a high rate of coming back. With guys, that, hey, you get a five-year, okay, five years, I'll be back. You'll see that high turnover. Lifers, their return rate to prison, right now it's gone up a little bit. It's 0.7%. But that's because they've done a lot of the work. And I do think that CDCR and the state does have to rethink of how do we rehabilitate these guys that don't have to do the work. Right. You incentivize them so much, you cut their time, time, time. Well, they're just going to check the box and go. If you don't deal with the underlying issues of their anger, because that's the major component, they're angry men, you know, they're going to go back out there and be violent again. So you got to address that somehow. Yeah. And where I think it starts is let's deal with our boys. Before they become these men. Right. You know, we got to start there and then deal with this here and close in on it at some point. And the same thing with the women. You know, you have large population of life for women. You know, so I do think that there's, we have to find that medium. Yeah. And I think because they're so polar opposites, people don't yeah. want to do this. And I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I was that guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and my, my, my stance on it has, has been, it's easier coming from this perspective too, right? I, I don't, I, you know, I had one uncle that was murdered. Mm-hmm. The guy did fifteen years. Is is that is that tough for me to accept? Sometimes, like, no, this guy did fifteen years. He he murdered my uncle at the height of his life, like when yeah. he was doing great, like when things were just ready to. He was ready to live, Happen. yeah, you know, and so. It's hard for me to to do that, but then I, I like I said, I I, I look at things like your husband. I think. I think he paid his debt to society, to be honest. I think. Well, you never can give back life. Right. There's never atonement for that. No. So you can be rotten in jail. It's never going to bring that person back. You know, and, and to me, that's that's a big factor in it. With, with my grandson's dad that got murdered, I've always talked to my grandson about forgiveness. Um. He actually wrote a letter to the guy that killed his dad. And wow. I got to read it to him, to the guy at his sentencing. And I wanted my grandson to be free of that hate. And the guy was like blown away. Because I, I know both sides. So I can be empathetic to it. I know, dude, you're just starting your, your term. You know, but you got this little kid that forgives you. Talking about like, you probably did it because you're in a gang and this and that. This little 10-year-old boy talking to you like this wow you know and, and it so i i have to i have lived both sides so i'm not privileged but i can see things from the, both perspectives and i'm i'm looking at my husband and yes there was three lives that were gone that that will never come back that he will have to live with that for the rest of his life but does that mean that he needs to die in prison is there a point that he can rehabilitate enough to come out back into society and become a productive citizen. 
you know, do we have not faith in humankind? Yeah. You know, like, where does that line? And I know, I get it. There's people out there that probably be like, no, they took my kid. He took my kid and I don't want him free. I get, I get the anger and I don't bash anybody for it. But for me personally, I had to learn to forgive. Somebody almost took my daughter's life. She yeah, was recently. You know, recently. And I can honestly tell you that not one moment of hate came, came into my heart. I'm like, you know, this individual that did this, I just pray that she can find herself because it's a journey. And, you know, my daughter was in the game, is in the game. This is what, we, this, is what this life brings. What do, who are we kidding here? Yeah. You know, let's not sugarcoat it. You know, we, we want to sit here and play dumb about it and deaf and blind. You know, this is what happens. You either end up in prison or in an institution. That's it. There's two paths. And I've got to experience all of them in my life. Death, my husband had life, my son had prison, my daughter got almost got killed. And and so it's been a big turmoil in my life. And I, I look at it this way. God gave me a unique perspective. Y- yeah, I mean, from all sides. All sides. You know, that's, that's uh, I think in dealing with, with talking to you and talking to Trino, it's given me a, a, a new perspective of to... We can't generalize every single guy that's in there. Yeah. You know, when it becomes I, I, personal, it's different. Hmm. When when it affects you personally, then, oh, but this is the exception. Yeah. You know, and, and then when somebody gets killed that's close to you, no, I want them in prison, but then I want my brother free. Yeah. Y- yeah. Even even for me personally, the, the extra added thing yeah. is God telling me. Mm-hmm. Hey, is that sin not good enough to forgive? Yep. And I'm like, okay, Lord, like I can forgive <laughs> this guy over here that treated me bad at work. Like it's cool, but don't yeah. try to bring it over here to this. I mean, it's it's kind of it's conditional, right? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of it's a it's a tricky thing that really I, I'm not saying plays games in your mind, but really causes you to really confront a lot of feelings and a lot of things because I, I I've. I've been a lot thinking about that. Even with my brother, when even when he, I mean, my brother-in-law, when he came and he's a public defender that grew yeah. up in in Boyle Heights, and I said, uh, you know, he was really like, no, man, it's, and I'm like, I'm like almost like want to want to argue with him. I'm yeah. like, no, this is the way they they they, they did it. That's yeah. it. And he was really cool about it. He's like, it's different for every guy, and I was kind of like, and then I. I you know, your husband just knowing, hearing the story and everything. And now I, I was just like, I, I, I mean, he looks happy. I mean, he, he, I, I mean, I'm, I, it just like, I begin to think about it. And then with Trino and his forgiveness it, for, the, for his brother's murder. And I was kind of like, like, this is like, okay, Lord, like, what are you, like, what are you <laughs> telling me here? Like, I'm this guy, like, you know, yeah. conservative, like, you know, and that doesn't mean like, I'm Republican and just jam yeah. everybody down. It, it, it doesn't make sense because I grew up in the neighborhood. So I know I've seen, I don't think that every, but the, the rehabilitation part for me has, has really come to light even more. You know, Trino made the point of, you know, it used to be California department of corrections yep. and then it got changed to California department of corrections and rehabilitation, yep. you know? So I, I, uh, 
I begin to think about that. Like, yeah, what what else do we like? What what's a better way to do? Hey, you have a sentence. We need to try to rehab you. Yep. You know, and 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 I think I I truly think that's the answer, because we we know people that just five years here, three years here, six years here. Yep. You know, and and with the three strikes thing, it's just it's 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 pretty wild. Yeah. And think about it too, just from a financial perspective, what's it costing California to house these inmates for that long? Yeah. That that's another factor to think about when you go down that road. But there's a lot to consider in this and I think when you really start looking at it from a deeper level, you get a better understanding. Um, I think C D C R has a lot of work to do. They're nowhere where they need to be. Um, but I think California is moving the right way. Um, do I think it's too extreme in some situations? Yes. But the reform needed to be done. There needs to be a reform. Um, I don't think everybody deserves to be in there for life. I just don't. You know, I think they have an opportunity if they can correct themselves and rehabilitate. And Is there really anybody change. you think that can't re- be rehabilitated? I'm sure. Okay. I'm, I'm sure there's people yeah. that don't have the capacity to... They don't want to. They don't, they don't want to. Yeah, they don't right? care. Yeah. Okay. They don't have nothing to live out here for. Right. You know, um, th- you know, my husband got released a year of parole, but it was basically like, here's your gate money. Goodbye. You figure it out. Figure it out. Which is another wild thing, right? Yeah. It, it leaves them with nothing. It leaves them with nothing. I mean. I, I tell people all the time, you, you, somebody gets out of jail, go look for a construction job. Yep. Nobody judges you. If you're a hard worker, you get rewarded right off the bat. Yep. Like, I know it It sounds, you know, like, oh, that's it. That's all I can do. No, I'm telling you, this is a great job. Yeah. And they don't, nobody judges you because everybody has a passive construction. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're a good worker, yeah. they love you. And you're a part of the team. And that's it. That's yeah. all and they care about. I think people like, like my husband, they have something to prove. So they're going to put, my husband's at work two hours early. Every day. And I'm like, why are you there so early? He's like, I'd rather be two hours early than two minutes late. That's my integrity. It's that, di- it's that discipline. That, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he, he came out. Luckily, he did have me there. He had a home to come home to. He didn't have to go to a halfway house or a transitional home. Or he had me to come home to. I'm, I'm fin- financially stable. Um, so he had the support of his family. His family has been amazing. Like, all of them. His brothers, his sisters, his mom. Um so Whatever. he had an ideal situation. He had an ideal situation. Yeah, which is huge. It's huge. I'm telling you, you don't know what the rough life is like. <laughs> you got it made, but you buddy, got me. You got me. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. I I, I, uh, I appreciate your story. Thank you. I mean, I'm really proud of you. We've been friends for a long time, and uh, I'm really happy for you. Like that's, I'm happy your son's home. Yeah. Your husband's home. Your daughter survived. Yeah, I'm glad to be grateful for this year. You look great. Thank you. You know, I, I just uh, I think you've come a long way. I mean, I mean, and you fought through. And and I mean, I'm sure there's still difficulties. There's always difficulties in life, but uh, I'm pro- I mean, I'm happy for you. I mean, it's great. Thank you. Thank you thank for, you for the com- opportunity. Yeah, thank you for coming on telling your story. I, I would like to invite you back, and we can get to the ins and outs of. Uh, a lot of the legal stuff there. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I, I know we don't agree on anything, but I know that you've always been a friend that's been open, you know, to to uh, hearing my side, you know, sure. and, and, and me hearing your side. Like, okay, I, and I, I learned something. Yeah. 
There's some things I'm more passionate about than others. This is one of them, but you know, that doesn't mean we can never be friends, you know? Yeah. I, I, I disagree with people taking these polar positions and right. you forget the friendship part. Like that should be unconditional. And to me, I mean, at least our friendship has been my girl, Melissa, like there's things that we probably will, won't talk about just because it's so we're so on, on polar opposite sides of things. And believe it or not, there's a lot of things that I'm not as liberal as you might think. <laughs> I would say I'm a very liberal Republican. If you, <laughs> That's, oh man, you know what? The, the funny thing is this: look, it, it the, the the world has got very polarizing on yeah. that, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, I think most good people, and I, I it sounds generalizing, but I, mean, I think most good people are just left or right of center, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, we we'll probably agree on a lot more than we do, and mm-hmm. I tell people this all the time. There's, there's, a, there's. I'll tell you what. Like I tell people, this is what I believe in. All I want to do is be left alone. I don't want the government to bother me. I want to be able to make a living for my family. I don't want nobody to bother me. I don't want my taxes to be super high. I want to be able to live in a safe neighborhood. I want to be feel safe, whether at with my guns or with my alarm, whatever. I want to feel safe. Be able to protect my family, and 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 be able to become whatever I want to become without mm-hmm. being bothered. And and most people will go, yeah, me too, yeah. and, and worship my God, yeah, right. And and I go and I tell people this all the time. I say, is, isn't that what you believe? And uh, isn't that what you want? And they will usually go, yeah. And I was like, so you're a little bit more, <laughs> yeah, for sure, more on my side. Are we? Are we more like minded than you? Yeah. You you say now? Is there some? Other things that might be, yeah, but for the most part, we're, we're, we're closer than we think. And this polarizing of far left or far right is, yeah. is, is it's breaking our country. It is breaking our country because it has there's, broken it. there's some things that we can say that's just flat out wrong. Yeah. Like, like, come on, that, that yeah. doesn't make no sense. That's wrong. Yep. We can't agree on that. You have to admit that. Well, you know, you know what? When you have the people on the stage acting fools. Call it for what it is. Then how do you expect the rest of the country, country to follow suit? Yeah. You have a bunch of circus going on. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. But I, I think for the most part, everybody that I've talked to one-on-one, we're, we're, we're a lot more closer than mm-hmm. we think. And I think, you know, media, politicians, loud mouths, yep. uh, you know, social media has kind of like, Let's bring this divide. And, you know, there is conservatives that believe people shouldn't do life. And there yeah. is liberals that believe, hey, you do the crime, you better pay all the time. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it, you know, there's things that we, we, we cross over on. Or, or, you know, I tell people, I, I believe in freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And they're like, oh, you just say that for your religion. No, I say that for all religions yeah. because I, <laughs> I'm in there. So whether you want to worship Allah or, you know, Virgin Mary, whoever, you know, it's, it's for all of us. Like, like we used to think like that. Yeah. And now everybody's just so polarized. Well, because it used to be healthy debate. Yeah. Now it's, if you believe this, I cut you off. I've lost a lot of friends. And that's ridiculous to me. That boggles my mind because then your friendship was conditional. Mm -hmm. Like we should be able to agree to disagree and that's cool. Yeah. how dumb of 
of us to want to be everybody the same. Like, that's dumb. I, I've had friends that I've lost that have come against me because we don't agree. And I said, hey, man, like, let's just agree to disagree yeah. on that. And let's not talk about that. Let's yep. talk about what we have in common. Yep. You know, our kids, you know, sports, whatever it may art, whatever it may be. Like, let's talk about that. But let's just and, you know, my 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 kids have come home and just been like, and they're not my friend no more because I don't believe that. And yep. I'm like, gee, like we're, yep. we're, we're there. And I think that's uh, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. You lose your good. You, I, I've lost good friends or good relationships with people over those things, and I'm like, well, I guess my circle gets a little bit smaller now. <laughs> it's better smaller. <laughs> yeah. Real quick before yep. we go, I know, man, that was like two hours right here. She <laughs> Cam's like over there dying. He's on his phone, huh? <laughs> no, he's paying attention. He's paying attention. Um, we got one more thing. We yep. me and Cam like to call this the street gospel. Furious five. And what I do is I ask you five furious questions and you just answer them. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. If you, it's going to be, this is the kind of, I'm, I'm saying this tongue in cheek. Question number one, you're on death row. Last meal, anything. What are you having? My mom's homemade quesadillas. Really? Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. What makes... Okay. Quesadillas? Last meal? But she makes them with chicharron. She makes them with cheese. She makes them with potato. Okay. That's not a, that's not a quesadilla. That's, this that's, is, this. that's authentic Mexican <laughs> real stuff. But the, masa. The whole thing. Yep. All right. Yep. Last meal, mom's quesadillas. Yep. I'm going to have to try Marta's yep. quesadillas <laughs> one of these days. You're going to have to bring me one. Yep. Question number two. Biggest regret in your life? Probably not being the mom I should have been earlier. Yeah. All right. Question number three. Where do you see yourself in five years? A homeowner with my husband. Uh, probably in law school. Nice. Yeah. So still have goals. Oh, yeah. Still pushing. Oh, yeah. And what, what kind of law are you practicing? Just to ask. Right now, we're I'm in work comp, but I definitely want to go into criminal. All right. Yeah. Nice. And you're gonna be that public yes, defender that 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 yep. gets these guys out. Yep. That you feel that and be the advocate for them. Yep. Right on. Question number four: If you can have any car from the old neighborhood to cruise around in, what would it be? Ooh. What's Carlos's car? It's a uh, Monte Carlo. Yep. You would have the Monte Carlo. Yep, I'd have the Monte Carlo or Alco. I like Al Caminos, but I like Carlos's. Ooh, the Al Caminos for me. Yeah. I used to have one. <laughs> Last question. Question number five. Favorite sports team? I think I know this. <laughs> That's a crazy question. I'm a Raider fan for life and a Dodger fan. <laughs> All right, everybody out there. You heard it. That's why we're friends. I think I think Melissa has a picture and you guys are all raided out. Yep, all the time. I never met a Raider fan I didn't like. Wait, though, but let me ask you a question. Is your husband a Raider fan? Nope. He is not a Raider fan. I know. That's his biggest defect. 
do that. I, I was going to invite you guys over for dinner, but I you know, know. I, I just... What, what was this team? Uh, it's hard to come out of my mouth. Don't uh, don't <laughs> tell me. He's a Jacksonville Jaguar fan. A Jacksonville Jaguar? Yes. Uh, yes. All right. It's you know a what? culture thing. The Jaguar, the Aztec thing. Okay. Go figure. All right. Well, you know what? Okay. I can live with that. If you would have <laughs> told me Chargers, Rams... Oh, no. Or 49ers. I would have been like, Gabby, this guy's not for you. <laughs> I'll let you get away with the Jaguars. A little un- not maybe, understandable, maybe, but okay. Maybe the, Yeah, maybe the Packers, Stiller, but yeah, it, we'll, we'll, we'll let him get away with that one. Yeah. But if you would have said he's a Cowboys fan, no. 49, I would have been like, you know what, Gabby, no. let me tell you something. This guy is not for you. <laughs> Drop him. <laughs> After all, after all you guys, been, after all you guys been through, we're gonna base it on a team now. Yeah. Hey, Gabby, I appreciate you coming through. Thank you. Awesome. Chapter seven. Anything you want to shout out? I know you work with an organization, right? Um, a couple. I want to shout I, them out. My uh, Tento sister, Tento support group that deals with women with lifers and women that are dealing with men coming home. They also do a mentor support group for men coming home. Nice. Uh, California Parole Suitability Hearing Group. My girl Kat, she was my diehard throughout these years. ARC that my husband's part of and Healing Dialogue. So a couple of organizations that have carried us through. Nice. Yep. All right. Appreciate Thank that. You. That'll conclude this episode of the Street Gospel Podcast with Gabby Ruiz. Uh, definitely uh, an eye-opener. Uh, a blessing her story was great um make sure you share this podcast with all your friends family co-workers whoever's out there man we're on every podcast platform and on youtube at street gospel tv we out